Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. This week on Unforgotten, we're going to take you to the unincorporated town of Harvest, Alabama in July of 2008. As you've probably figured out, there were some complex relationship semantics happening in Jennifer's life. She and Kevin have their struggles with addiction. Jason states that they both went to bed that night, but in the morning, Jennifer was gone without any note. Kevin was over there and they got in a little, you know, debacle. They got in a little fight. So he, he just took off walking. He was like, all right, I'm leaving. Jennifer left with none of her belongings, including her purse, her driver's license, or her medication. They actually had new evidence and that they were starting a search on. Um, so we had a barn in our backyard. Um, yeah, they had dogs out there um, a few times um, and they hit at the barn. They're a coward. <laughs> I just want them to know that they took that away from us. Hey everyone, this is Sellers. And this is Stormy. And, and this, this is, is Unforgotten. Unforgotten. Where each episode will highlight unsolved missing, murdered, and suspicious death cases in Alabama in order to raise awareness and hopefully obtain some answers for victims and their families. Please remember that any individual referenced in the podcast should be considered innocent until found guilty in a court of law. And any opinions or views expressed in the podcast are solely those of participants. Listener discretion is advised as some of the content discussed in the podcast may contain violence or graphic descriptions and may not be suitable for all audiences. Be sure to join our Unforgotten Patreon channel today to gain exclusive benefits, including early access to ad-free episodes and bonus content. By subscribing, you'll also be supporting the efforts of ACCA in assisting families in raising awareness for Alabama cold cases. And now for episode 27, Jennifer Powers. Hey guys, and welcome back. How's your week been, Stormy? Oh, it's uh, busy as usual. (laughs) How about you? Same. Work has been crazy busy. Yeah, you've been in another trial two weeks in a row, right? Yes, I'm ready for a little bit of a break, honestly. Because I yeah. felt, God, my shoulder just popped. I don't even know if you could hear that, but my shoulder I, just popped when I was stretching. I did hear that. <laughs> oh, it's old age. And it's from being at this desk for so long, so many days in a row. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I can understand that. I'm ready to just, you know, get get done for yeah, a little while. Have a little bit of a break. But it's been an interesting week. Yeah. I mean, on all the fronts, really, if you, they had the. Well, yeah. Hearing on the Jordan Vandersloot, Jordan Vandersloot. I always say his name wrong. Yeah, I always say it that other way too. That was really interesting. Kind of, I guess it was like out of the blue. Well, you know, I kind of thought whenever they came out and said we are pursuing these charges, he is going to be extradited back. In my mind, I was thinking there's got to be a way for them to work this so they can get information because it almost seems like I can understand why you would want to pursue that um, considering all that's went into it. But it also seemed like there's got to be another point to this to be able to try to get information or something is what I was thinking the whole time, because that's a lot of work to put in as far as extraditing him back on financial charges where he's just going to go back to Peru. And right. so I'm really glad that they were able to work this plea deal out and that it was contingent upon him providing information. But I'll be honest, I don't know what I think about it. I guess where I go with it is it's at least probably partially true. Yeah. And I think that's really what matters the most for them 
you know, an admission and in the general terms of it. But it is kind of curious. And I don't know, um, we posted some of the filings over in the Patreon channel. So I don't know if you're listening, if you've had a chance to go look at those. But they actually attach to the supplement to the sentencing memorandum an excerpt from his interview. And the reason I got from listening to all of this that they feel like this is credible information is because he underwent apparently a pretty rigorous polygraph interview. Yeah. And I think first my initial thought to that was, oh, no, you know, there's a reason those aren't admissible. People right. can pass those. And if you're a pathological liar who's been doing this for a long time, mm-hmm. would it be easier? But I don't know. I guess it would depend on what kind of environment you're in when it's being given. Because that matters. You know, are you comfortable? Are you in a place where you're not comfortable? Yeah. What What is the environment like? Who And who's doing the questioning? You know, are right, they intimidating? Exactly. Talked about are that, they yeah. like a, a no bullshit kind of person, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, the other question I, th- I had, and I thought I, I, I'd need to go back and look, but I got the impression that he agreed to the agreement and gave the confession, but that they confirmed it afterwards with the polygraph rather than before. Maybe. But I may, if that's the case, I almost trust it more, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, in the excerpt that they actually attached, they didn't put the whole thing. And this is kind of another thing, I guess, that played into it was what was said before and after the excerpt mm-hmm. that they actually attached. Mm-hmm. Um, but he admits to being with her that night and that they were dropped off a little bit further away from her hotel. So they would have to walk back. Mm-hmm. And basically they were walking out along a beach and they started making out and he started groping her and she asked him to stop and he didn't. Right. And he continued. And so she ended up, according to him, kneeing him in the crotch. Yeah. His words is that's what she did. And mm-hmm. I think that says a lot about her, like good for her. You know, yeah. I said, yep. no, no means no. Yeah. Okay, it's that's crossing a line. And apparently he got really mad. So he got up, kicked her in the face, and then proceeded to get a concrete block, cinder block, that was over there that apparently came from some wall that was nearby. It looked like a, I don't know, a beach wall or whatever. And he says that he repeatedly hit her in the head with it. And I'm not going to read his words because they're very graphic. And it breaks my heart that her parents listen to this in real time. Yeah. Because you know in your mind that they've already had thoughts about what happened and probably have some idea. But to actually hear it voiced, that had to be just kind of reliving this traumatic experience that has been ongoing for so long. Yeah. I have to commend the family, though. I mean, her mom especially, that, you know, when they made the statement from Mm -hmm. the family that you know they do truly look at this as a as a win not just a win but you know a a, for lack of a better word nobody gets closure but closure for them Mm -hmm. and she seemed very content with what had occurred you know the the conclusion so um he they say you know they're not there's not going to be any further searches because this is the conclusion because in his admission he says that he then took natalie's body out into the ocean Mm -hmm. and basically pushed her out to sea yeah and if that's how that happened it would be almost impossible yeah i mean it would be a fluke thing if somehow some of her remains washed ashore somewhere it would be a complete fluke and miracle. Mm-hmm. And there are questions that I have about that, but I don't think it really matters what my questions are. Yeah. You know, as long if the family is content and they think that's it, this, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, we don't have the full thing. We don't know what he said before. We don't know what he said after. We don't know what 
they have as far as the investigation goes to support that. But there's a reason they think this is true. Yeah. And exactly. it just, I'm glad they got these answers. They've waited a really long time. Yeah, I agree. And there's actually also attached to that was a victim impact statement by her mom. Mm-hmm. And she it let them is, have it. She did. <laughs> yeah. She did. She really ripped into him, I think. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, that she said was you were to blame for all of their suffering, talking about his family, and said, mm-hmm. and you are the one thing no one in Aruba wants to be, the black mark. Yeah. I'm really, I think that's, I don't know, I, I don't want to say proud, because I don't think that that's actually the right word for it. But it takes a lot of strength to stand up there and face the person who has killed your child and maintain your composure the way that she did, I think she really held herself together a lot better than I feel like I probably would have been able to. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't know if it's, you know, after so many years of wondering or even knowing and just not being able to do anything about it, if somehow the time helps with that, you know, composure or, you know, if it's just a case-to-case basis, you know, when it's fresher, do you, are you a little more volatilely upset and angry about the whole thing, you know, after yeah. time, you know, we hear so many times from families that, you know, after a certain amount of time, they just want it to be done and they want to have their person back or have answers. And that's really all that matters at that point, that they just want it done. So, you know, I kind of wonder if that isn't where some of the, not calm, but you understand what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Her dad also submitted a victim impact statement to the judge as well. Oh, I didn't and see his. It was really, it, again, heartbreaking because he talks about the things that he won't get to do with his daughter, like walking her mm. down the aisle. Yeah. And how they never got to see her attend Alabama, where she had a full scholarship and all of these things that they were robbed of, essentially. Yeah. One of the things that he says towards the end is, Having seen and heard him confess to the brutal murder of our daughter, I believe him. We are satisfied that our daughter died at his hands and that he acted alone. Questions will forever remain about the extent to which others participated in depriving us of the opportunity to return Natalie's remains to Alabama. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it sounds like they probably do still have some questions about things, but as far as the big ones that they've always waited for, Mm Mm-hmm. They're good. The ones that were were most important. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think that is really commendable of them, the way that they have handled the entire thing. And maybe they had moments where they weren't as, you know, calm and, you know, presentable, I guess. I don't think I've seen anything really public. And granted, being out here, I probably didn't follow it as close as you did, although it was very national. Um, But... You know, I never really remember seeing, I mean, I I remember the normal family reactions, you know, to what happened, but I don't really remember them ever being particularly unhinged or anything like that in the news. I think they always seemed to be very composed as a family and just wanted answers and wanted their daughter. I'm not sure I would be able to be one of those parents. I don't think I, I don't. I don't know. You know, you never know until you're there, but I, think, I don't feel I, like I exactly. would be You don't know how you'll react until you're in the situation. And that yeah. really goes to say about a lot of different things. But I also have a very short temper. Yeah. Like, it takes a while for mm-hmm. me to get to you that point. But once, <laughs> like, the fuse is lit, it's done. <laughs> it's like you got about three seconds before it yeah. just explodes. And clear the room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm trying to be better about that. But <laughs> I mean, I guess it's beneficial in some areas, right? Yeah. It. I mean, sometimes it gets things done. Yeah. You know, you sometimes. just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the other thing that's um, happened just yesterday, Thursday of this last week, uh, for those listening now, um, 
It's a uh, national news, not Alabama. And I really need to go back and actually listen um, a little more. Are you but about to talk about Delphi? I am. Good, yeah. because I missed the update that came out. <sighs> I and did. I was well, hoping you would know. They were supposed to have a hearing yesterday. Um, it was like a sudden hearing that wasn't planned because they weren't supposed to do anything until the 31st. Mm-hmm. And so this, I guess, un unscheduled hearing decided to take place and then last minute the judge canceled it because uh mr allen's attorneys dropped him wow so they quit him um they they appointed that i am not sure if i remember if they were appointed or not but you know there's recently there's been uh i guess some crime scene photos that were released nothing graphic but that i understand anyway but they were released they weren't supposed to be released obviously and there's been a lot of talk about um information in the case that has to do with odinism i don't know if you guys know what that is but what is that um it's i don't know it's a little bit like um I don't know what people think Wiccan is like and things like that, but it's a little more on the evil side. Oh wow! Um, but there's they there's some talk, and I haven't seen all the documents yet. But there's some talk about there was some symbolism on on the scene, oh. um, deliberate symbolism, and that it it all matched this Odinism. So. That's religion not just or speculation or somebody coming up with. So yeah, you know, you know how sometimes seem... people look at things and they're like, "Oh, that's definitely a sign for something." And then, right? But it's people wanting to see things. It doesn't. It could have been completely coincidental. This is like actually proven. Yeah, like, we kind of wondered that from the beginning. You know, they talked about there were what they call signatures on the site, and that could be anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, that could just be something like. You know, the guy always has to go to the bathroom afterwards, so he goes and pees in a tree next, you know, <laughs> or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that it could be as little as that, or it could be deliberate as some staging something. Um, so it's all over the board as far as what signatures are. But um, they've been talking about that there were specific signatures for whoever did this, and then this recently came out about some symbolism. No, again, I don't know how much of that is official because I haven't seen any of the documents yet, but right. it sounds like it could be at least somewhat credible that that's something. No, and I guess they've been trying to tie him to it, but they, but that's what the defense was using supposedly to say that he wasn't because there's a group, I guess, locally that is. Honest. That was what I was about to ask was, are they using this as a defense of mm-hmm. it couldn't have been him. He wasn't involved in this. Here's these signatures yeah. to prove that. Yeah. So now all of a sudden they're dropping him. So I don't know if they're quitting before they get in trouble because they're the ones that have leaked this information. There was or, towards that. I'd be yeah. see that. Some speculation. Yeah. So, I, yeah, like, so. I, I haven't had a chance to see. I just saw a bunch of Twitter X updates. Um, yeah. And, and I just feel so bad. I mean, as if their families haven't been through enough with all of this. I know. Um, you know, that, and I know that they were with, you know, suddenly they're a hearing, you know, taking place. I'm sure they thought there was something more going on and now this happens. So, yeah. And it sounds like the trial was supposed to take place in January, but now that he doesn't have counsel, it's going to be postponed further. And they haven't which, set a date yet. Which is kind of understandable because anybody yeah. that comes in is going to need mm-hmm. to get caught up, you know, yeah. to speed. And totally I'm sure understandable, but this is for the also family. a case that's been out for a while. So I'm sure there's mm-hmm. a lot of documents. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot going on with this one. So yeah. anyway, I just thought I'd bring that up because that's that's pretty hot news right now, too. So And all even if it's not directly related to Alabama, paying attention to how things are handled across the United States is a good thing because it is, yeah. It you see how they're handled, it can set a precedence for how other cases are handled. Mm-hmm. And also, when you start seeing, you know, here's something this agency used to crack the case, here's this, here it gives you ideas for things that maybe haven't been tried in other cases. Yeah, yeah. So I always think that it's like a good idea to keep track kind of of how things are going and how they're handling. Yeah. And this is really random, but I just found out that my TV has court TV. 
Oh yeah, <laughs> that it's so. Core TV is pretty interesting, and you get yeah. to see a lot of this live stuff. Like this would have been on live if had it taken place. We cut our cable and stuff. We did a too. long time ago. Yeah, that's true. We probably should have just kept it at this point because we've got so many subscriptions <laughs> to different things. It's like, oh, we've got a Hulu subscription, Paramount Plus, Discovery Plus, HBO. Um, peacock or whatever <laughs> you know like everything yeah. under the sun but i just found out that we have a samsung tv and it comes with samsung tv plus mm. i had no idea and i'm like well what's on here anyway and i'm flipping through and there's law and crime and court tv so where you can watch <laughs> the trials that are going on and i'm like score yes <laughs> because i'm I like I like trials. Like that's kind of my thing. I love trials. I've always liked trials. That's why we love Jay Shaming, right? <laughs> it's his YouTube channel and kick is Shaming of Jay. And yeah. Yeah. oh my gosh, he does court hopping. That's like my favorite thing to watch. <laughs> um, because I got to watch any of it yet. I've just been too busy. But I really well, would the love court it. hopping is just random hearings. It's not actually mm-hmm. necessarily a trial or anything that's going on. Right. Although they do follow trials too but it's just like on a random day they'll log in to different um jurisdictions that stream their hearings and you never know what's going to happen on these things and (laughs) like sometimes it is hilarious because they're doing some of these hearings are over zoom so you've got all of these people who are waiting in and they they're logged in through their zoom stuff and they're just sitting there but they're like going about their daily life i'm pretty sure one lady was sleeping Oh my and heavens. so, um, <laughs> it's yeah, it is insane. And you read about wow. things that happen in court sometimes, and you think like, "Oh, that's probably made up." And then you yeah. watch this stuff, and it's like, "No, probably wasn't." <laughs> you know? Yep. It's pretty yep. funny. Now that we've gotten some updates out of the way, this week we're back on our virtual road trip and we're sharing a case from Madison County today, which is located in north central Alabama, right along the Tennessee border. And we had initially planned on doing two cases. We had said, you know, this week we were going to be covering Jennifer Powers and Dina Hubbard, but we actually have decided to split their cases up because just a couple of hours before we sat down to record, one of our followers, Bonnie, actually made a stop over at the Department of Archives and found a lot of information that we did not have on Dina Hubbard. And we weren't able to find very much information on her. So we're going to postpone her until we've had a chance to actually look at the information that she sent. But I just wanted to say thank you to Bonnie for making that stop and Absolutely. She's digging through these. Yes, because she's also still sending us stuff that she's finding on other cases. And it is fantastic. I didn't even know that all of this information was up there. Um, yeah, I was it, surprised when she started sending it. Cause really, we were kind of looking for just a couple specific things to help. And yeah, my heavens, we got, and we kind of a, got a lot of a, stuff. A little gold mine, yeah. Yes, and I think the reason it just like popped into my head just now was because we had recently done an episode where we were talking about how important our followers and our listeners are to us. And this is one of those examples of exactly why it's important and how the public can help because this is information, this case was from the late 80s, that has been sitting in a box that probably has been forgotten about. And yeah. so we wouldn't be able to do this without people like Bonnie who say, hey, look what I found and send it over. So you know, we really, really appreciate all of our followers and listeners. And thank you, Bonnie, for making that trip. <laughs> right, exactly. She's just can't thank you enough. <laughs> so Madison County is uh, recognized as the birthplace of Alabama, which I didn't know. I I don't know why I wouldn't have guessed that. For some reason, I would have thought somewhere along the coastline would have been. <laughs> but here comes my ignorance again. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed that either. That's actually not what I thought. Yeah, yeah. 
And for those who aren't in the know, like me, and apparently like sellers. <laughs> I thought our first capital was St. Stephen's. So uh, that's well, not Madison County. So this is news to me. Kind of, yeah. So Alabama actually had four capitals prior to landing on Montgomery as the final capital. The territory of Alabama started in St. Stephen's as the uh-huh. original unofficial capital which is nowhere near Madison County, of course. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but rather, it's a, of course, uh, St. Stephen's is just a little bit north of Mobile, correct? Yes. Yeah. It is. It's actually in like the next county up from Mobile. Yeah. But the legislature recognized Huntsville and Madison County as a temporary state seat until establishing the three remaining permanent capitals. And that is, and I'm going to probably slaughter this name, but Cahaba? I think that's right. Cahaba? Cahaba. Okay. Cahaba. (laughs) Tuscaloosa and then Montgomery, of course. I'm also probably not the right person to tell you how to pronounce some of these places because (laughs) I still come across cities that I'm like, how do you say that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like Tallahassee? Yeah. I said that wrong forever. Yeah, I did too. And I kept, and and I kept I am wanting not, to say Tallahassee, and I knew that wasn't right either. But <laughs> And I know there's another um, place right in that same area. It starts with a K, and I am not even going to attempt to say it okay, because well, I know well, I will butcher it. <laughs> we'll just let you guys play with that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if having multiple capitals was a thing that happened in most of the states early on or if it's just a... Uh, Bama thing. <laughs> We're indecisive. So. I don't know. I um, did look to see if Washington was that way, and it wasn't. So, score <laughs> uh, uh, one for Washington. <laughs> told you we're indecisive. <laughs> I mean, we were talking about counties, um, and one of the episodes, basically splitting up and cities saying like, "Oh, we're tired of you, so we're going to go join this county or something." You know? Yeah. Obviously, yeah. there were some territorial issues. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and I think, you know, I say Washington wasn't one of those, but I'm a guessing that, you know, the Wild West, you know, had its uniqueness as far as when states were established and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, further east you go, the earlier on everything was and they were still establishing, you know, territories and things back then. So I'm I'm guessing that things probably changed in a lot of states back then. In addition to the contribution to history in helping to establish Alabama as a state, Madison County boasts the Montesano State Park in the eastern portion of the beautiful Montesano Mountain. The park has campsites, some overnight cottages, hiking trails, and picnic areas with scenic overlooks. The mountain itself has an interesting history. Montesano is Spanish for Mountain of Health. It became home to the Hotel Montesano, which is a three-story Queen Anne-style health resort that opened in 1877 and would charge a hefty $11 per week to stay in its earlier years. I wish I could stay somewhere for $11 (laughs) per week. Like, I I know back then that's huge. I giggle every time I hear that kind of stuff. I know. It's just crazy how inflation has changed and all of that. And now... You can't go anywhere for eleven dollars a day. I know. <laughs> you know, outside of home, even home though. Really, I know. Like you can't even stay home for eleven dollars per day. I mean, you start calculating up your power and all of that stuff. Like, I know. Yeah. However, in 1888, a railway line was built to go up to the hotel, but not specifically for tourism. In the era of diphtheria, cholera, and yellow fever. Patients were sent up the mountain to recover at the retreat, which offered bowling, horseback riding, croquet, which I love, mm. and lawn tennis as part of the entertainment there. Now, can you mm. imagine? It almost makes you want to get sick. Right. <laughs> I was like, when I, when I was reading that, I was like, you mean that's where they say? So I'm wondering if it wasn't like a certain part of society that was sent up there and others were sent other places. But they didn't I mean, say that, so. It sounds kind of fancy. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, yeah. I didn't even know there was bowling in 1888. Yeah. The only thing I can think of is maybe they commandeered the hotel to, like, quarantine people and just yeah. already have that stuff. So, 
I would not be mind quarantined in a place that offered bowling horseback riding because I do love horses. Yeah, um, croquet and, just sounds uh, like, oh, can we go there right now? <laughs> yes, yes. Now I'm like, uh, maybe I'll just take a you know side tour this weekend. There you go. Huntsville, the area we're focusing on today, is home to the U.S. Space and Rocket Center and NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center. Tourists can tour the Marshall Center and see more than 1,500 pieces on display at that center. And of course, it is also known and loved for the U.S. Space Camp as well. Funny story, my cousin, and if she hears this, she is going to be so mad. I'm not <laughs> saying her name, so it's, she'll be fine. Um, she's in high school, so if that helps anything. But when she was younger, they actually were going to take a field trip to the space camp, the space center. Mm-hmm. And she thought that meant they were going into space. And oh. she was so nervous about I can imagine this field trip I into space. I feel that way. So I hope that, you know, like they have brochures or something that told yeah. you what you really did. <laughs> it was just her response to it when she was like, oh, my gosh, we're going into space, you know. And uh, it was just really funny. That's awesome. Well, and as a another side note, for those who listen to um, Unforgotten's three-part series on specialist Chad Langford, you may remember it took place in Redstone Arsenal, which is also in Huntsville. That's right. So, yeah, we talked a little bit more about Huntsville and the area then, but um, if you haven't listened to the episode yet, we highly recommend you go back and listen to the episode 18 series. And we had our friend Michael Fleming with us from Echo 7 Foxtrot and Secrets to Crime podcast. Um, He was here to help us talk about that case. So it was very interesting and definitely would recommend you listen if you haven't already. So with that little bit of background, we're going to take you to the unincorporated town of Harvest, Alabama in July of 2008. Located in the northwestern part of Madison County, a suburb of Huntsville, Harvest has maintained a small town charm even as it has grown through the many years. Since 1990, it's almost tripled in size. However, as much as Harvest loves its quaint charm, it is also home to a woman who went missing in July of 2008, Jennifer Faye Powers. We were able to talk to Jennifer's daughter, Caitlin Petit, to help us learn about who Jennifer was and navigate through the details of her disappearance. We'll share some of her interview clips throughout the episode today. Jennifer's case is one of those that has everyone scratching their heads as to why the case hasn't been solved and why she hasn't been found. So as we talk about her case today, we think you'll understand why. We also would like anyone in the area to just think back and try to remember anything they may have heard or seen and get that information in. Absolutely. And this case does seem to be solvable. We always talk about trying to maintain objectivity until there's enough proof to make a conclusion. And sometimes, you know, cases are just lacking in that one piece that will put the whole puzzle together so authorities can move forward. Mm-hmm. And so we'd just love to hear what you think once you've heard what we know so far. So Jennifer Powers was born on February 2nd in 1979 to Shirley and Sam Locke in Harvest, Alabama. She lived there all her life. In her teen years, she met Kevin Bunn and sometimes As things happen with young love, at only age 16, Jennifer became pregnant and gave birth to a beautiful baby girl, Brittany Faye Vaughn, on May 1st of 1995. Three years later, on June 8th, 1998, Caitlin Marie Vaughn was born and Kevin and Jennifer married that year following her birth. The Vaughn's marriage was short-lived, and they ended up divorcing in 2000. That same year, Jennifer married Caitlin's father, Jason Powers. On March 2, 2001, the Powers brought home a handsome baby boy and kid brother to the girls, Jason Dylan Powers. As you've probably figured out, there were some complex relationship semantics happening in Jennifer's life. Caitlin mentioned to us that she was born Yvonne on her birth certificate, but later found out that Jason was actually her father. And interesting, you know, a little bit of, we didn't go into a lot of detail later on, but they actually didn't do a 
DNA test until many, many years later. I think she was in high school. Mm. And I'm not sure what spawned that DNA test exactly, but yeah. Unfortunately, Jennifer was known to use drug for several years as well. From what we've understood from Caitlin, day to day, she functioned very well as a parent, enough to keep them safe, cared for, and happy. But both she and Kevin have their struggles with addictions. And let this take happens sometimes. Yeah. It doesn't change that the parents love their children, but addiction's a hard thing. It is. It's it's a pretty big struggle for a lot of people. And some are very high fun you know, some addicts mm-hmm. are very high functioning. Mm-hmm. Um so let us take a step back and hear what Caitlin has to say as she tells us a little bit about who her mom was. So my mother, she um she did not work, she stayed at home with us. Um and it was my mother and her three kids. I mean, wherever she went, her three kids went. Um that was just who she was. Um, she put her kids first. That was her top priority. It was her kids. Um, we all three played sports and somehow she got all three of us to all of our practices and our games. And she was just that mom. Um, she was fun. She was, um, very funny. Um, she was always doing jokes and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, she did have her problems, but we were always with her. We were like, Velcro. I mean, you couldn't take us away from her. Law enforcement agree with Jennifer's family. Investigator Ken Andrews stated in the News Courier in 2018, we know for a fact that she was a good mother, no matter the circumstances. Even though Jennifer divorced Kevin and married Jason, it seems that there was a connection between Kevin and Jennifer that they really couldn't sever. I'm sure that's partially due to co-parenting with Brittany, but it seemed that they couldn't part ways on a personal level either. And there was a bit more to it than that even. Kevin, he was always over there. Um, I truly believe that Kevin and my mother, they were soulmates, but she married my father. Um, Because he was always over there. Um, She was a different person around him. He would come over like, you know, when my dad would leave. I know it doesn't sound right and it's not, you know, but it happened. And Kevin had his problems as well. So that's why they, he was always over there because they could get high together and all that kind of stuff. So this gives a little bit of perspective into what was going on in Jennifer's life leading up to the day of her disappearance. I just can't even imagine, you know, kind of finding out a little bit more about it from an adult perspective, you know, later in, in the years. It must have been kind of difficult at first to hear. Um, mm-hmm. Caitlin was so wonderful about talking about all of this. She, you know, just focused on the positives and how wonderful that she felt her mom was and, you know, the the love that they had in the family. So like what they said, it doesn't discount the fact that she was a good mom who mm-hmm. loved her children and her children loved her. Exactly. Yeah. From accounts in the news, on July 11th, 2008, the kids were at the grandparents' house, and it was said that Jason and Jennifer were going to dinner. Jason states that they both went to bed that night, but in the morning, Jennifer was gone without any note or indication as to where she went. Some news articles say he states, she went outside and never came back. And others say he woke up to find her missing. So it's kind of hard to know exactly a little how bit of he a really phrased that. But mm-hmm. whatever the case, he seemed to think that she just left. I'm one of those comparison people. Like, I want to mm-hmm. see what you said at various times, and I want to see how it changes. Yeah, I wording agree. matters. It Dayton does a lot. Is big. So what we read sort of leads one to believe that there was Little to nothing that actually happened. She just up and left, like occasionally happens. We talked about that last week with Olivia, that there was a case that is potentially resolved. It hasn't been announced yet. Um, Still waiting on a few things, but there was a lady who had been reported missing, and it looks like she just left, you know, and was later found in another state. However, Jennifer left with none of her belongings, including her purse 
her driver's license, or her medication. And so it seems that there's a little bit more to the story than just up and leaving. Yeah, I agree. In addition to the news stories making it seem as though the evening was really just two parents going out to dinner while the kids were at their grandparents, and that it was a typical planned parent-slash-grandparent arrangement, it really wasn't that at all, as Caitlin explained to us when we talked to her. As far as that day before, July 11th, Kevin was over there, and they got in a little, you know, debacle. They got in a little fight. So he he just took off walking. He was like, all right, I'm leaving. So, of course, I was always the one to call my grandparents. I was always the one to be like, Meemaw, can you come get me? You know, they're fighting. Come get me. So my grandma came and got us three kids. Um, and all I remember is we were pulling out of the driveway, and my mom was, she stayed there. Before we could back out, I was like, Meemaw, you know, we, what, why are we leaving Mama? Can we take Mama with us, you know? And she stopped the car, and she's like, do you want to stay with her? And I said, no, I'll go home with you. And we left. Caitlin goes on to explain that Jason was at work when this happened, but he had called her grandmother, and they did talk about what was going on and why, you know, the kids were with her. And he was like, just keep the kids tonight. I'm going to take her out to eat. We're going to, you know, we're going to figure this thing out. You know, uh, Kevin can't be coming over, all this kind of stuff. That's what, you know, my my father said, uh, Jason. Well, um, I guess they went out to eat. I really don't know. Um, and then the next morning, my on July 12th, um, my grandparents brings us kids home. We all run inside, you know, waiting to see mama. And she's not there. Every light in the house is off. Um, my dad is just kind of sitting up in bed, just sitting there. Um, and we're like, where's mama? <laughs> you know, where is she at? And he's like, I don't know. She wasn't here when, we, when I woke up. Yeah, she. you can tell, obviously, that there was more that Jason kind of knew than what he let on. When Caitlin was recounting this, it sort of struck me. Like, it didn't seem... Like he was at all upset about what Jennifer did, you know, her leaving or about the kids or anything like that. It just seemed like he was acting sort of odd with all the lights out, sitting up in bed like he was, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's bizarre to it say is the a least. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we talked about this already once, but, you know, we never know how people are going to react to things. And, it's very possible. It's just the way he reacted. Um, sort of as stunning as it was, Caitlin does explain the completely different reaction the kids and the grandparents had as the day unfolded. And if they were fighting and there'd been, an, you know, a pretty serious or heated argument, which obviously if the kids felt like they should call somebody to come get them, it was mm-hmm. probably pretty heated. Then you can look at it too as like, Maybe he was depressed. Maybe he was in shock. Like, oh, my gosh, she did actually leave. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Not what my initial thought is, but it could happen. Mm-hmm. So me and my sister, we took my father's phone and we went next door because we were very close with them. So me and my sister, we went next door to Miss Wilson's house and we just called everyone we knew because we didn't know what to do. Uh, we went and asked the next door neighbors, you know, we were asking everyone. We we're like, you know, have you seen her? You know, no, no. everyone knew who she was. But my dad was just sitting there um, and he said, you know, I don't know. She wasn't here when I woke up. So finally, we get my grandparents back over there and um, we had to wait so long before we, you know, we could file the missing person because she was an adult. We had to wait so long. And, um, so we waited and we finally talked my dad into calling and, um, and then that's when she officially was reported missing. But then again, that that's just his personality. He is very quiet, very to himself. Um, that's just him. So at that point we didn't think nothing. Um, and then he's always been the type, he's always been the stern, serious one. To take everything in context, you know, keep that objective look on this. Jason had also recently lost his mother, father, and grandfather within about three months. So this 
could have put him in a bit of shock, like we talked about. This is a lot emotionally on somebody. You know, he's grieving the loss of his relatives. And now he's had this fight and she's not there anymore. I can imagine that is pretty heavy stuff to be dealing with for even adults, you know. Absolutely, yeah. I don't know the circumstances behind the other deaths, but that's a lot. My grandfather died several years ago, and then my grandmother passed away within the last couple of years. And I still have days where it's a lot to handle. So I can see where that could put somebody in a not great place. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with it being that close in time. Once Jennifer was reported missing, it took a bit for any real investigation to take place. Even into August, investigators were still saying they had no reason to suspect foul play. Like they were actually thinking that she probably just left on her own, which, again, happens frequently. I know. They did eventually realize that it wasn't likely that she left on her own since there was no activity on her accounts. And, you know, she left all of her personal belongings behind. But I think what really kind of tipped them off that something wasn't just right with her voluntarily leaving was the fact that they had come to believe she would not have just voluntarily left her children. And, you know, like Caitlin has said, they were glued to her mom. Like they went everywhere with her. You know, she even indicated that they probably went places they probably shouldn't have gone with her at times, but they were so close and she just loved them so much. She never left yeah. them alone. I mean, you know, I don't mean like hovered and mothered them, but you know, they were just always together and she just was that kind of mom. Better for them to be with her than to be with other people, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. Yep. The governor did put up a $5,000 reward for information leading to an arrest and conviction of any person or persons responsible for a disappearance. And in 2015, the sheriff's office announced they were putting up another $5,000, bringing the total to $10,000. That's great. Yeah, that is great. And so by the ninth year in 2017, the Madison County Sheriff's Office would put out a release that they actually had new evidence and that they were starting a search on the 100 block of Granto Road with the assistance of the FBI and other agencies. And that is, I don't know if we already said, but I think we did, the Granto Road is where their home was. And I believe several members of their family, I think, lived in that area at one time or another. Mm. And it sounded like from what Caitlin told us, that um, they searched their property and I think a couple of the neighbors' properties too. But by this time, they are now operating under the belief that Jennifer was murdered. Mm. But it just goes to show that sometimes it doesn't matter how much time passes. As long as you get the information in, it can still help. It does. And I think, you know, Unfortunately, sometimes with the slow start on an investigation like this one, you know, valuable time things might have been, yeah, yeah, yeah. Things could have been lost in just the time passing, but mm-hmm. um, it sounds like they kind of got on the ball after a while. So it sounds like you know they were really keeping up with whatever information came in. Indeed, in late 2016 or early 2017. Jennifer was declared legally deceased. Mm. Um, I did get the copy of the declaration, and it really just is that. It just says, you know, that it was a delayed recording. Well, you have to wait for so many years, um, Mm -hmm. you know, before you can do that. Yeah. There would be a few searches around that area that we were talking about that happened between 2017 and 2019. And in fact, uh, cadaver dogs were actually brought out to the area um, where they actually hit near Mm. a barn that was on their own property. And I believe there was a couple other areas that they didn't really specify. Then they actually brought out machinery to dig. 
there's some reports that say they collected some evidence of some sort. Um, I'm thinking soil samples probably. Right. Because they did evidently not find her. Mm -hmm. And so far they haven't reported that they have really any evidence that they've been able to share. They kind of said there was no result from the searches. So not exactly, you know, sure if there's things that we just don't know about because there probably are. So here's Caitlin and she'll describe a little bit about that too. Um, So we had a barn in our backyard. Um, Yeah, they had dogs out there um, a few times um, and they hit at the barn and then again, they hit at the next door neighbor's house. And that's why they did the multiple digs there. But um, as far as finding anything, I don't think they found anything. They told me, you know, a few times the investigators come over, give us updates and stuff. And they've mentioned two people that I know of um, that they have interest of, but nothing's really coming about it because they don't have anything to go off of. Um, the biggest thing with this case is. It's just the body. Once they can find the body, everything else will be done with and everything else will fall into place. Kaylin and Dylan have had a lot of sorrows over the years and worry and prayers for answers to where their mother is. In the years since Jennifer's disappearance, Jennifer's oldest daughter, Brittany, had kind of stepped up to take on the role of being the mama to Kaylin and Dylan. But in 2013, They suffered another loss that left the whole family grieving again when Brittany was very suddenly diagnosed and passed away of liver cancer on February 17, 2013, at the far too young age of 17. I I just can't even imagine, can you? No. And having a younger brother, I have two younger brothers, but the youngest one, there's like a 12-year age gap between us. And... Mm -hmm. I understand what she means when she describes her as this mother type figure mm-hmm. because I was always toting my little brother around with me. Yeah. And yeah. at 17 years old to have gone through all of this with their mom and then to have this cancer is hard. Yeah. You know? Well, and you, you know, we mentioned that Jason's parents and grandparent passed away also in a short time. Well, that's their grandparents and great grandparent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's still family there that even passed away. Not that short a time, you know? Yeah. The kids and Jessica states in a news interview, Brittany made people promise her not to forget about Jennifer. She told us, don't forget about my mama. Do everything you can to find her. So Caitlin that's has been hurt. And that is heartbreaking. And now Caitlin is left to fill the shoes of both Jennifer and Brittany as a mother figure to Dylan. And that's not something, you know, that she has to take on. I don't want it to sound like that. Not that she was left to do that and now she's obligated because that's just not how it works. But when you have a family that's close-knit, you feel like it's your responsibility as the oldest child to kind of lead that. and do what you can to make sure that your younger siblings feel just as loved as you did and have somebody they can go to. You know, and and as you can probably tell in the upcoming clip from Caitlin, although she doesn't say it, their family is very spiritual. Um, She has a lot of faith. And, you know, I think that plays a lot into how close they were to each other. Um, and helping them get through this. They are a really lovely, you know, beautiful family. Oh, yeah, we, we became very close. Um, my sister was was Mama Bear um, after all this happened. Um, see, she was probably 12 or 13 at the time, um, and I was 10. And then my brother was seven, so we're three years apart from each other. And then in um, 2013, my sister passed away. Um, she had cancer. Um, so, you know, I had to fill those shoes and it was rough. It was hard. It was the hardest thing I think I've ever had to do was fill those shoes, but I wouldn't change it. I couldn't change our relationship for the world. 
Madison County had been saying since the digs took place in 2017 that they had a person of interest, but seemingly they didn't have enough evidence to prove this. In 2020, they stated in the Madison record that despite the last 12 years, Madison County Sheriff's Office has not forgotten about Jennifer Powers. There is a person of interest in this case that has become uncooperative. However, our pursuit of justice continues to this day. They also confirmed that they had cadaver dogs that indicated on the property, as we mentioned before, where they put it in the article, where she died. But searches to this point have not recovered her body. That's pretty telling that they indicated on the property where she died. That's pretty specific worth. Yeah, yeah. Um, And has become uncooperative, insinuates or implies that they were cooperative at one point until things maybe started changing, you know? This last July was 15 years, and the sheriff's office gave a plea to the public for help, saying that the family deserves closure. And though we know closure may not be the right word, the family really just wants to have her back. If you could say anything... To the person that may have taken her from you, is there anything that you'd want to say? Um, that they're a coward. (laughs) Um, that they can still be a coward and tell us where she is. They don't even have, they don't have to tell us who they are. I could, I don't care. I really don't care who it is. And I don't even care if they get in trouble. I just want her Um, Because at this point, it's not about justice. It's about recovery. And I just want them to know that that they took someone away that has pissed out on a lot. Um, They took a mother from three kids um, that didn't even get to go to, you know, her own child's funeral. Didn't get to go to the other kid's wedding, graduation the first grandchild nothing and they took that away from us and I do believe that they're going to get their payback one day for Jennifer's family and those close to them they have their own ideas about who took Jennifer and it appears likely that law enforcement agrees with those thoughts we're going to keep our opinions to ourselves and refrain from stating whether we agree or disagree that Jason may have been responsible because we honestly don't have the information that the investigators have. But it does seem that they now are staying on the case even if the investigation wasn't expedited as it should have been in the first place. So for now, we'll remain hopeful for Caitlin, Dylan, Jennifer's parents, and all of her family. They will have answers soon. I just want to thank y'all for doing the podcast and um, thank all the law enforcement that has helped. Um, We've had some really good investigators. So that has been really good to our family. And I don't think it was the case to begin with, but I think it it got better. Um, Ken Andrews and Chad and Josh, I mean, they're just, they've done so good. The people behind the scenes, I mean, just everyone has been so great to us. Um, couldn't have done it without, you know, our friends and family, church family, all of them. I mean, it's been overwhelming the amount of uh, support we've had. Thank you so much. The last we looked, there was still a reward for information leading to an arrest or location of Jennifer's remains, or if she is alive to lead to her If you have any information that would help investigators bring Jennifer home to her family, please contact Madison County Detective Chad Harbin at 256-533-8820. Or you can email him at chharbin, and that's C-H-A-R-B-I-N, at madisoncountyal.gov. You can also submit a tip online, and we'll have all of this information in the episode description as we normally do. I've missed her so much. And um, she's missed out on a lot. But um, she's welcome back anytime, you know. (laughs) 
Since Alabama Cold Case Advocacy's creation, we have dedicated innumerable hours to researching and networking in an effort to provide the largest platform we can to the cases we share. We shoulder all associated expenses with Alabama Cold Case Advocacy out of our own pocket, including the subscription fees for researching and production of the Unforgotten podcast to provide a cost-free avenue for the victims' families of those cases. We hope you will join in our efforts to raise awareness of Alabama's missing and murdered and support these families who have been forced to carry the immeasurable loss of their loved ones and the fight for answers. If you appreciate our mission and you are inspired to make a donation, your extra support will enable the ACCA to continue our research, share the cold cases, and help those families know that they are also unforgotten. Unforgotten is an Alabama cold case advocacy podcast recorded in conjunction with Riverside FM, hosted and distributed by Spotify for podcasters, available on your favorite podcast platform. Intro music for the show was created by Principles of Uncertainty, who also mixed and mastered this episode. Content and production is by Sellers and Stormy. Artwork by Sellers. Credits for music, sound clips, special mentions, and any source referenced in our podcast can be found in each episode's description. We hope you will join us on all the major social media sites and continue to raise awareness of our Alabama cold cases. Until next time, thank you for listening, and remember, justice may be delayed, but the victims and their families remain unforgotten.